On today's Garnet Community Podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Wilson, who works at Queen Mary University of London. And uh, we're talking about a paper just published in Plant Physiology, the title of which is Rethinking the Influence of Chloroplast Movements on Non-Photochemical Quenching and Photoprotection. So thanks so much, Sam, for joining us today. This is a really interesting paper. In that there's a, a real kind of established dogma in the field in the way uh, photoprotection and chloroplast movements are linked together. And you um, propose that this... Um, a relationship might not be all that it seems. So it'd be great if you can give us an overview of what you did in the paper, please. Oh, great, thank you. Um, yeah, so our, our kind of view in this paper was to kind of, as we said, kind of look at look at the link between chloroplast movements, photoprotection and non-photodermal quenching. Um, under blue light, so higher plant chloroplasts do rearrange and that's mediated by the FOT2 photoreceptor in quite a complex kind of pathway mediated by proteins which are chup, such as chup one which if i mentioned they're the two kind of principal mutants we studied mm-hmm. in this paper we had the methodology of looking at kind of wild type this fot2 knockout mutant and this chup one knockout mutant under kind of blue light which triggers the chloroplast movement response and red light which should act as a control across the three mutants mm-hmm. where there are no movements at all so theoretically after dark adaptation and using the red light they should be ideally the same so we wanted to kind of look at how much do these movements protect like kind of while at the same time kind of testing the validity of this qm component this chloroplast movement dependent component of mbq so throughout we found that um there was unfortunately kind of there was there were no significant differences between each of the lines okay. so to begin with we assayed so an hour of light an hour of darkness which is maybe quite a long time frame but that's the kind of time frame that chloroplast movements take mm-hmm. So, and we got, we, we assayed NPQ across this, which is kind of a si- quite simple parameter, but obviously anyone who's ever done any kind of chlorophyll fluorescence measurements, PAM chlorophyll fluorescence measurements knows, you, you can really get, you get a lot of data from these measurements. So c- concurrently with the me- assaying NPQ, we could also look at different parameters. I guess the simplest of which, which I guess most plant physiologists will kind of know about and understand is we looked at the excitation pressure. Okay. So one we typically use one minus QP, which is quite typical for these measurements of excitation pressure. So the amount of energy that's kind of the pressure of excitation on photosystem two. So and sort of QP measures the redox state of QA, so the kind of acceptor side of photosystem two. Okay. And we found that across all lines, the red light there were no differences, but at the beginning of the light, and so when the light was switched on, there was a massive spike under blue light across all three of the lines. Okay. which makes sense. Blue light preferentially excites photosystem 2, but then that relaxes back down to a steady state alongside the red light. Again, concurrently to this, in the same assay, we also measured photoprotection. This is using this parameter called QPD, or photoprotect- photochemical quenching in the dark. It, there's been a lot of kind of work done on that um, out of our lab and a few other labs, um, but essentially it can kind of measure the long-term acceptor side photo inhibition on ps2 by measuring sort of in the dark what is the redox state of qa mm-hmm. and therefore we can draw a link between that and how photo inhibited is photosystem 2 like photosystem 2 being the site of photo inhibition being the most sensitive protein that splits water mm-hmm. it manages a lot of light and it manages large large redox potential so it's likely to be harmed it's it's sensitive to photo inhibition mm-hmm. and again we found that 
there were very few differences in each line. That's a great description of what you did in the paper. So can you give us an idea of uh, how you actually do the type of measurements that you're doing within within the paper, yeah. if, if people aren't so familiar with how you, how yeah, you measure okay. So typically the paper hinges around a technique called it's PAM chlorophyll fluorescence or pulse amplitude modulated chlorophyll fluorescence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite typical. It was discovered, kind of pioneered in the 80s. Essentially you have... On, you're measuring the fluorescence output of the leaf and you use they essentially use different lights on the leaf so you have a measuring light and then you can turn actinic light on and off with saturating pulses to kind of assay photochemical quenching non-photochemical quenching among other things mm-hmm. by measuring the fluorescence output of the leaf and i guess it's quite the easiest way the kind of textbook way of kind of explaining the technique i suppose is so when a photon hits hits the leaf mm-hmm. it has and is hits the photosynthetic complexes it has a number of fates. Mm-hmm. So that photon, if you imagine that photon has 100% of the energy, that energy can be spent in different ways, which has different rates. So it can be ideally in an ideal world, and what a lot of plant scientists are striving towards is you want that photon, like a lot of the time, to be spent in photochemistry to then be give the energy downstream to be fixed into carbon. More plant growth, everyone's happy, ideally. Yeah. However, that's not the ideal case, and that photon often is dissipated as heat, which is the NPQ. So for non-photochemical quenching, is when excess energy is harmlessly dissipated as heat and can be emitted, re-emitted, which is fluorescence. If you imagine that all sums to one, so you can monitor the fluorescence, and then by using saturating pulses, you can monitor the balance between photochemical quenching and non-photochemical quenching. Right. Because a saturating pulse, it saturates all photosystems, so you can see how many are open and how many are closed. On a more practical term, you have two kind of one centimeter square fiber optics, you put a leaf in, you set up a routine that turns light on and off to different specifications you click go so to collect the data it's very straightforward but i guess to interpret the data and to kind of understand the machine it gets a bit more complicated like a lot of biophysics and i guess so it's a relatively simple experimental setup but what you get out the other end is is less simple and more obviously more complex to analyze so before this paper there was kind of an intuitive view um, of the relationship between chloroplast movement and, and photo protection. So in low light, the chloroplasts are at the top of the cell, but then in high light, they move to the sides of the cell to protect themselves from the, from the high light. But obviously the data you've shown in this paper suggests that this is a negligible part of the protective effect. So therefore, do you have a theory moving forward what exactly the uh, movement of the chloroplasts is, is achieving for the, for the plant cell? Okay, no, that's a, that's a good question. Sort of, um, okay, so it's widely known the leaf is very optically complex. Right, okay. And these optical changes that occur under chloroplast means are relatively small. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, part of the dogma was kind of, or the, the reason, like, the wider chloroplast movements exist question kind of had a number of theories. A very, an incredibly popular one and kind of pioneered by guys in Italy, guys in Japan, was that, like like you were saying, that these chloroplasts can kind of, is a light avoidance strategy. Um, what we have kind of found, and what a lot of people who've worked on the leaf optics have kind of have found, is that these changes are typically, the transmitted changes, so the ability to, for light, the differential ability of light to transmit fully through the leaf, mm-hmm. they're quite small. They're on the scale of like, depending on the plant and how it was grown, 
really at the at the very very top end seems to be about fifteen percent change, but that's for like begonia in shade conditions. Okay. Whereas for like a typical Arabidopsis leaf grown under the sun shade conditions, it in shade conditions it's about I think five six percent and goes down to about two percent transmitted change in in sun conditions. Okay. Why we think and why well why we think how we discuss the kind of if they're not if chloroplast movements aren't important for photoprotection if they're not if they're not if they don't affect non-photochemical quenching, if they're not to avoid light, what is the evolutionary benefit of having this adaptive chloroplast positioning? The, the way that we have discussed it is that it's kind of it's important for kind of fine-tuning kind of light use in light-limiting conditions. So under low-light conditions, kind of to fine-tune light, to fine-tune the amount of light, perhaps under very low-light conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, the one the one that I thought was quite interesting from an optical perspective was to kind of decrease interleaf light gradient. So if you imagine in the leaf, the cells at the very top will be getting the full force of the sunlight, mm-hmm. and the cells in the middle and the bottom will be getting potentially less light. Mm-hmm. So to kind of reduce interleaf gradients. But again, these this chloroplast movement transmittance change is small, so it might it might reduce the light gradient in the leaf, but to, to what end, I suppose? So so the question is now, so obviously this is, you know, more of an open question than maybe it was before. So are you guys continuing to look at this or are you are you going in a different direction with this? Um, I, I think at least as far as chloroplast movements go, um, we're very interested in a lot of leaf optics. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, we do because we do a lot of absorption measurements where it's kind of key like kind of understanding the leaf optics but as far as chloroplast movements go uh, i think at least with this paper until anyone responds or if mm-hmm. uh, or if anything changes i think at least the chloroplast movement and npq story is kind of relatively closed it's, it's since you know your focus is not on chloroplast movement and there's a, a lot of great work done in that area it's for maybe others now to to discover really you know what you know what the what the other functions of uh, chloroplast movement yeah. will be. That's cool. So thanks, uh, thanks so much, Sam. It's really interesting discussion about this. So thanks very much for joining us today. And as I said, we look forward to to hearing what comes out uh, from your future work. Cheers.